This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach, it's not a, it, It's not about me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants You don't even want to talk to me. Who we want to talk to is Magic Hall of Famer, Pro Tour Champion, Reed Duke on the cast. Reed, welcome to the channel. Reed, welcome. Hey, Phil. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Long time coming. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, for so, sure. You know, it doesn't doesn't require too much uh, arm twisting to get me to come chat legacy for, for a little while. <laughs> We've been following your career for quite some time, so it's 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 really great to just uh, have you here in the flesh uh, to hang out with us. We're just gonna pop right into it. Let's talk about magic. What drew you to magic initially? Well, I played magic like my whole life, ever since I was a little kid. So back then, anything with knights and dragons and giants and cool stuff like that would have would have been uh, an easy sell for me, but. The, the real trick is how has magic kept my attention over all these years? And it's just such a deep and immersive game, both in terms of the strategy of the game and just everything surrounding it. You know, the art, the collecting, the lore. I mean, magic's just a really special game in the sense that you can spend a lifetime on it and never run out of things to do. Yeah, it's one of those games where I, you know, I find myself often playing and then I realize it's like seven in the morning and I'm like, oh yeah. God, not only has the sun come, come up, I actually have to start doing things for the day, you know? And that regard you're like i haven't even finished my brew yet one, one thing that I, I do adore about this game is you actually see the difference between how much success somebody can have in it i mean you are you've reached the pinnacle of the game in many ways and yet still when you come and you jam some legacy at, a, at the locals at game storia here in new york you still got the forest play mat with the green sleeves and the green deck box and you're gonna jam some elves and it's sweet it, you you just get to see like the grounding of a, a celebrity in the game and the love for it i i love the meeting of those two things it's really lovely yeah and i, I think it's it's not not just a coincidence. I mean, the my biggest uh, asset in terms of a professional career is I just love magic so much, you know, so it's easy to get up and put in the long hours and, uh, you know, do your best when you're just having a ton of fun. You've gotten, you've had success in every facet of magic. You've had limited success. You're obviously a pro tour champion and pioneer. You're a magic hall of famer, but I know that you've said on many other podcasts before that legacy is your favorite format. Is that still true? And what is it about legacy that draws you to it? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say, you know, I, it's it's certain that legacy is my favorite constructed format. I'm a big like limited uh, fan as well, but but yeah, I think I think we can say legacy legacy is my favorite format, and that's not too big of a stretch. And what draws me to it? Well, I like how I, I guess my my one sentence answer would be I think the gameplay of legacy is the most mm -hmm. engaging. So you know, deck building and problem solving is fun in every format, but when it actually comes down to like, all right, you got to navigate a turn where you have a brainstorm and your opponent can have all these free spells and you're under pressure from wasteland and you know that the game could end next turn um if you if you mess up like the number of decisions and importantly the number of meaningful decisions you face in, in a game of legacy i think is, is higher than other formats a unique part of legacy compared to other formats is uh obviously that the cantrip suite ponder and brainstorm are in pretty much every blue shell in Legacy. And those involve a lot of detailed decisions and planning ahead. And you have experience both casting Brainstorm Ponder decks. I mean, you won Grand Prix Louisville in 2017 with a Deathrite Shaman build that was a Ponder Brainstorm, very cool deck. But you also have results with uh, Legacy Elves, obviously Legacy Jund, which we'll get into. Do you find the difference of navigating those games with a blue cantrip style shell 
versus a more mid-range shell like Jund or a combo deck like Elves varies heavily? Or is it you have enough reps that you recognize how to navigate those turns pretty much the same across every kind of archetype? Good question. I, I, th- I think certainly every deck is different and uh, having access to that, the card selection of blue does feel a lot different. But that's not to say that these non-blue decks don't have really challenging patterns as well. The thing with Brainstorm is just the raw number of ways that you can play a turn and resolve a Brainstorm is so large. Whereas other decks like Elves or, you know, some Ancient Tomb deck or whatever it might be, it's like you probably, you face a lot of really challenging decisions and the way you make those decisions has a huge impact on the game, but there are just not quite as many choices. So that's, I think, what's special about Brainstorm and, and all of the the similar cards. I think I remember uh, early on when I was starting to get into the format, I read an article of yours where you you specifically talked about feeling like a powerful wizard and and talking about brainstorm and ha- all the possible ways to use brainstorm. And that was something that like really intrigued me because I hadn't played with the card since Mercadia Masks, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, brainstorm is really really fun, and that that's certainly one of the draws of the legacy format is like you get to play with this really really sweet card and have that great gameplay experience. Now. Phil, I think you're asking, like, do I have a preference for a certain type of deck? Yeah, I was curious to know if, if since I've seen you play from combo to mid-range to control, going all the way back, I mean, one of my favorite videos to watch of somebody executing a game plan is there's a video back in the old SEG open eras where you were playing Top Miracles and you were playing against a Stoneblade player and they had just maneuvered to a position where they had a stronger board presence. They had uh, more cards in hand. You were down to top and lands and two cards in hand that we discovered was force plus blue card. And you just navigated yourself to a position to have an overhauling Entreat the Angels for lethal through a counterspell. It it was one of my favorite games to, to, to watch being like, this is somebody who's navigated a plan from like X turns out and like understanding like, what matters and then i've also seen you just like cast a billion spells in a turn off elves so it's like your range is wide and as somebody who pretty much you know i'm pretty much a tundra player through and through and i was curious as to like if you have preferences as you bounce around between all these different archetypes and have strengths with all of them phil bases his personality off of this video actually <laughs> yeah I am, it's who i am it's who i am deep down that's good to know the first thing i'll say is like it's all about variety for me especially as a longtime player like I, you know i love to get into all the different um, archetypes and experiences you can have in legacy another thing about me is i'm kind of like a contrarian like Mm. if everyone is out there believing that you know brainstorms and delvers and fetch lands that's the best thing you can do I would be like, no, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to do something completely different. So that's like not necessarily a purely good quality, but it is something that makes me show up to tournaments with elves and Jund and weird stuff. I have had at various points in my career kind of like a revelation or like my friends have given me a talking to where it's like, dude, you got to just play Brainstorm. You're make, you're really making this way harder than it has to be when you choose a non-blue deck when obviously the weapons that blue has available are, are so strong. And that has been true at certain points like you know elves is a great deck and there have been times when it's it's correct or even great idea to play elves but in general i think if you just play a brainstorm deck every time for your whole legacy career that really can't be a bad idea because the the card is so good the color is so good the flexibility is there the customizability is there so i do think that um i I would miss brainstorm the most if i was to sort of 
take that out of my repertoire. Is there a particular kind of brainstorm deck in the current format that you would gravitate towards if there was a major event this weekend? It's a great question. So I think back on like my history with Legacy and when I was playing the most and when I considered myself like, you know, kind of at the near the top of the Legacy uh, game, I love to play control decks. I love to play Miracles specifically or, you know, like a reactive mid-range deck. And that was awesome. But today when I only get to play like a little bit more infrequently and I'm not super sharp on the metagame and what's going on with all the different matchups. Like, heck, I don't even know like what all the popularly played cards do in Legacy these days because there's so much, um, you know, mixed in. I'm sure we'll get to that later on. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that now that I, I'm not like a finely tuned, you know, perfect high volume Legacy player, I would probably like to choose something a little more proactive, like a Delver deck. One of one, the events that I play at the highest stakes these days is like I'll join a Magic Online Championship Series event in in Legacy, and I usually perform the best when I play Delver. Like, is it Delver, Team or Delver, mm-hmm. Rixus Delver? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline hop into what you think about the format uh, as you have played it recently. I know I've seen you a couple times at GameStoria, but are you planning on going to Eternal Weekend in December? Is that anywhere on your radar? Yeah, yeah. I, I really want to go. Um, I went to Eternal Weekend last year. It was in Philadelphia last year, and I was playing and I was like, this is just the, the best. This event is so cool. Like, I can't believe I don't mark it off on my calendar every single year. Like, I, I've probably been maybe three times in the last 10 years or something, but I, I kind of swore to myself last year, I was like, no matter what, I'm going to have to go in 2023 and like bring my best and maybe try to find find a way to have like a fully powered vintage deck and stuff like that. But, nice, but yeah, yeah. I, I am really, really, really hoping I can make it uh, to, to Pittsburgh in December. Oh yeah, I look forward to losing to you in the finals. <laughs> Is there is there a, a one or two decks that are currently like I'm likely going to play this in Legacy? I'm likely going to play this in Vintage that you're thinking of as you like prep for it if you're doing any prep at all. Legacy is tough. Legacy is pretty wide open. I, I would be I would be uh, willing to play like almost anything if I thought it was really good. Vintage, um, I usually go for a combo deck like a dark ritual mm. deck. Um, in particular, I just can never beat the bizarre Baghdad decks with anything besides uh, dark rituals. So, you know, Doomsday, I like to play and there's this new Beseech the Mirror, which is a, a fun card that I want to, I want to see what I can do with that one. But yeah, Legacy, I, I could see playing anything. If, if it was tomorrow, I'd probably play Grixis Delver, but plenty of time to try to brew something up or find a new deck that I like. And you're, or, you're headed to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're headed to Vegas uh, in, in, in a bit too. So you'll be playing uh, at a pretty high level there as well. Worlds, I think, right? Yeah, that, that's right. The end of September is the World Championships. That's standard and booster draft. So as we get into talking about potential legacy decks, and Grixis Delver is one of the top decks in the format. It just adopted one of the best cards to come out in a long time for black as a fair color in Orcish Bowmasters. That card is, I don't know if you've seen uh, recent metagame data, but it is in half of decks. Like you can expect to run into it literally as a four of in half of the decks that you run into in a field. One of the decks, we, we want to talk about Jund. 
I know people watching obviously want to hear you talk about Jund. You're the Jund guy. You are the man when it comes to that archetype. We've seen you recently piloted on 90s MTG to a winning record in uh, playing some number of Orgish Bowmasters. Is Jund at all something that you would consider for a high-level legacy event, or is that something that you keep to the locals? Good question. It's somewhere in between those two. Like, I think I would need to do some, some work and sort of like, well, as we talked about earlier, I feel like the non-brainstorm decks have the burden of proof like you got to be pretty sure mm. that this is a competitive strategy before you bring it to a big tournament. And so mm. I would have to, I would have to, you know, prove it with Jund um, that this is a good deck. I do think it has some good things going for it. Uh, I also, I've been winning more than I've been losing with it recently. Um, like that's actually one of the, th- <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go back and uh, tell the story of like how I ended up playing Jund um, more, more recently is I usually take like informal notes when I, when I play like on Magic Online, it's not, anything too in-depth, but I'll just go like, oh, you know, I won 2-0 against Death and Taxes, or I lost 1-2 against against Reanimator, whatever. And so uh, at a certain point, I was like, hey, let me actually do something with these notes. Like, let me compile them and see if I can learn anything. And I, I added up like, you know, all, all my results from a couple, a couple of different top archetypes uh, that I had been playing with. And surprisingly, like Jund was one of my highest win rate decks. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's something there. Let me pursue it a little bit. Yeah, Jund just kind of surprises you. Like it never looks that great on paper, but it's got all these great weapons and sideboard options and um, so a few good matchups out there. And then Orcish Bowmasters got printed. So I'm like, well, this is one of the best new cards in the format. Jund is a great home for it. And it's not particularly good against Jund. So you're getting like the best of both worlds in that sense. So that's why I decided to, um, you know, play a bit more with it after the release of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think we and- watched you uh, recently like steamroll uh, an 8-cast deck uh, on 90s MTG. Just like, it was... It was it was a masterclass in like what what a Jun deck can do against one of the more powerful decks in the format. Yeah, for sure, and that's that's what I mean by getting the great sideboard options. Like, hey, if I show up to a tournament and I really want to beat eight cast, it's like you've got Pernicious Deed, you've got Ancient Grudge, you've got Force of Vigor, um, you got Collector Oof, and ways to search for it. Like the, the the weapons are there. It's just a matter of if you can uh, if you can nail it for for the matchups that are that are really most important that weekend. Yeah, that it's a color combination that currently in Legacy is actually like really well suited to deal with how diverse the card pool is at the top tables uh we recently had uh strifle on who like originated strifle pile mm-hmm. and he's just on four he's on four assassins trophy and like the more and i zach talked about it off camera the more we were like man that card is extremely well positioned right now given that like the four color decks don't play that many basics if they play any at all same thing with the delver decks that now are in a third color so it's like maybe they don't play the basic anymore so the assassin's trophy is typically free uh, or rather there's no downside to being able to hit your opposing caracas or an opposing planeswalker or whatnot it seems like it's just like one of the more underused tools in the new format given that like fair decks can get into black more easily now because bowmasters are so good is assassin's trophy like similar on your radar as like something that you'd play in high numbers in your current versions of jund or do you have enough tools that you like sort of don't need this catch-all i well i love it and that's the right word yeah. for it it's catch-all um so you know i really like to play the efficient cards lightning bolt um as my you know a premier one mana one mana removal spell but you need to diversify you need to have a way to kill murktide region and planeswalkers and you know i can't count the number of times Boseju or uh, assassin trophy has and Boseju have gotten me out of mm. like sticky situations against dark depths which would otherwise be a horrible matchup um mm. so it just really does a lot um and you you add all the those 
corner cases together and it just comes out to be a really desirable card. You have a lot of uh, one of the most for a lot of legacy players, one of the best GPs to watch coverage for at all is the one where you were doing both commentary and playing simultaneously. Uh, it is colloquially known as GP Reed. And you, you, you like played really, really well, really deep while also doing double duty on commentary. You literally were in a winning in and you were like this close to top eight and you played Grixis control in that metagame. And this is like a long time ago, back when like Baleful Strix and him to Torok were really good against Sensei's divining top type strategies is Grixis, which is colloquially known in legacy as blue Jund. Is that something that you would explore in a, in this kind of format where Orcish Bowmasters and Baleful Strix and things like that would still be available to you? I would. Yeah. You know, the same thing goes for both. Color combinations, you just have access to all these really, really awesome cards, and it's it's about finding the configuration that works for you and uh, can fight the important matchups. Now, one thing that I can say about both decks is a lot of the cards you're excited about cost two mana, and that's a dangerous spot in Legacy, because especially in 2023 Legacy, like a lot of times the game is pretty much decided by the time you're untapping for your second turn. So if you are too, if you get too much into the deck building of like, oh yeah, I love him to Torak, I love Bill Full Strix, I love Assassin's Trophy, I love Orcish Bowmasters, then like this is a real problem that you're going to have to address is, is how do you take enough impactful actions that you're not falling behind, um, especially when you're on the draw before your second turn. So Grixis has the advantage that you can, you can get Force of Will and Force of Negation, um, but but this is a big problem that I've been running into with Jund also. And, um, you know, not to discourage people, of course, from, from, from trying out these decks, but just be aware that this is a big, a big thing that you have to have on your radar is like, what plays am I making to impact the game for, for one mana and zero mana? Brainstorm and Ponder don't count. <laughs> Those cards are great, yeah. but that's not, that's not a turn one play that's going to help you keep pace against a, a, a really, really fast legacy deck these days. Because you had mentioned that you're a contrarian and that you like proving, proving the naysayers wrong, uh, there's a bunch of new cards out of Wilds of Eldraine that seem really, really good in Jund. And we're going to talk about uh, Questing Druid and Mosswood Dread Knight. Those obviously seem like three for one, never ending, re- recursive threat, like seem premier, premier for a Jund archetype. But one thing that we, uh, we didn't mention that you just made me think of, up the Beanstalk has been seeing a lot, a lot of action in like four color and five color, like Uro value piles. As right before we came on, I was like thinking, I was like, what cards do I remember Reed playing that were like sort of off the beaten path? And I remember there was one deck list, I don't remember where, but I remember you were playing Murderous Cut. And I was like, he's got Murderous Cut. And now we got up the Beanstalk and Fury <laughs> is busted. And I'm like thinking of all these five drops outside of blue. And I'm like, is up the Beanstalk actually just the nut? In non-blue decks, is this something that you've thought about at all beyond like me just having the epiphany moments before we hopped on this call? Yeah, Up the Beanstalk is just a broken card. So it, every format has its own set of like ways that you can kind of take advantage of this card. But yeah, for sure, like combining it with free spells or, or discounted spells in any format is is very exciting. And um, yeah, I think Legacy is no exception. To, to just jump back real fast to what you're talking about with the with the two-drop slot, because there's so much pressure on, on that slot, do you think that maybe it's time for Spellsinger to come back into play? It's It's been out of vogue for so long. Yeah, it depends, you know, exactly what the, how the metagame uh, shake, shakes out. But Spellsnare, I do think is a card that like fair blue decks could could consider um yeah i mean orcish bowmasters right off the bat it's it's kind of like your the your closest approximation to uh orcish bowmasters elemental blast right yes yeah. <laughs> so that's that's one of the great things about having a, a 
a purely black threat is you dodge all the elemental blasts. But Spell Snares, yeah, probably one of the cleanest answers out there for, for that. Have you considered any of those new cards from Wild Develop Drain into the legacy decks that you've played recently? Is there anything that's exciting you from that new set? Yeah, I like the cards. I like um, Up the Beanstalk, though my first instinct would yeah. be to pair that with for, for, Force of Will. I like Questing Druid, though you have to be careful because one toughness can can get you into trouble. Um in legacy but yeah for sure there's there's a lot of really cool stuff the sleep cursed fairy i think is is a great card as well where have you been thinking of that card just anywhere that you want one mana blue threats uh, not i'm not like ready to say it's better than delver or anything but it felt like you wanted to avoid having the, those one toughness cards ward two is really nice on, on a one mana play too yeah the 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 problem i have with with uh sleep cursed fairy is top decking it like, it's amazing to get it on turn one, drop it on turn one, and then, like, you know, a couple turns it'll, t- it'll untap. And you're ba- it's basically doing a really good uh, uh, impression of Nimble Mongoose, right? Drawing it, like, in the middle of the game just seems like the absolute worst. Yep, that's a good point, for sure. Zach, if you draw it in the middle of the game, you've obviously never missed a land drop, and you're the Ancient <laughs> yeah. Tomb guy. You have all this extra mana. You just, just pay the mana and get the stun counters off him, my dude. Just untap it, It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Reed, I don't know what he's talking about. Zach, come on, man. You have all the mana. I, I want to talk about one card that's been on my radar, and I want to I see if, if, if Reed, if we're on the same wavelength. Bro, is Reap... Is Reap the nut? <laughs> is Reap just the card we've been wanting this whole time in the Bowmaster metagame? Yeah. For those who don't know, Reap is a one man, one one in a green for an instant that says mm-hmm. you can regrow cards out of your graveyard equal to the number of black permanents your opponents have, and all of our opponents have black permanents on the board thanks to Orchestra Bowmasters. Let me start by saying, like, this is what I love about Legacy. You know, the idea that you could bust out a card like this, you know, out of out of the uh, probably not even the trade binder, out of the the old white box that's been in your closet for uh, for twenty years, and you're playing against somebody yeah. in there, and they're like, "Oh man, I never thought of somebody using this card." So this is this is the beauty, and yeah, I mean, Reap would be a, a really fun card to play in in Jund or whatever it might be. It's just like the it's just what, what I said earlier, yes, or what we said earlier drop. about choosing your matchups, um, and it, I wish sometimes that you could get 20, 25 sideboard cards and find room for all, all this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just choose. Like, do you want it to be a meltdown against eight cast? Do you want it to be a choker, carpet of flowers against the blue decks? Do you want it to be reap against the black decks? All these cards are just so awesome and can hit so well in the right circumstances. Um, and it's it's on you to to make make those circumstances happen. Reap reap came out before they just decided that like if you're going to regrow something, you have to exile it. So I'm pretty sure like you want two reaps if you're going to be playing one reap right oh yeah most definitely <laughs> we are we are trying to go infinite that is what we're yeah. trying to do yeah we just let our opponent have all of the bow masters so we can just keep regrowing stuff mm-hmm. uh, read when you when you're ever uh so like when you're thinking of uh new decks or or taking the contrarian brew and wanting to prove people wrong where do you when you're brewing a deck where does your process start do you go from for example, a particular card and you're like, I think this is underexplored and I want to maximize it? Or do you think of a certain archetype and go, I want to explore and and improve upon this archetype in ways that I think the community isn't really recognizing certain avenues to go down? Where where do you start in your process to to brew something that you think is going to be effective for a a tournament? It really could be any of the above. You never know where inspiration is going to come from, but um, it can be a card that you really like. It can be an archetype. 
It can be sort of a dynamic in the metagame that you want to exploit. So like we were talking about up the beanstalk a moment ago, when I see card like that, first thing that pops in my mind is like, how do I punish people for doing that? Like, how do I get mm-hmm. my Narsets and Hole Breachers in the mix so that pe- people regret playing that card against me? Um, so, you know, any anything like that uh, can can be a spark of inspiration. Do you, do you find that you, you gravitate more towards looking at the metagame and how to attack it as opposed to starting from a ground zero sort of powerful point of view? When you were like, oh yeah, I'm, if I look at, beanstalk and i want to punish them it also reminds me back in the treasure cruise days when you were the only player playing a plateau and uh what was the was the deal three gain three spell lightning helix lightning helix yes hmm. there was there was a point during uh uh during the delve era of, of treasure cruise where you had a lightning helix in your deck because blue red treasure cruise was obviously the best thing and you're like you know i was you and i were playing the same deck except you had lightning helix in your deck and i was like there's no way reed's wrong so what <laughs> didn't i see you know what I, mean? I was like what didn't i see that he got to lightning helix do you go like the weakness that these decks have i want to attack those versus do you find yourself doing that more often in a metagame when you're playing uh the, the style of decks that you like to play as opposed to something like oh beseeches this new busted car that can do a bunch of busted things what's the most broken thing i can do and brew from there that sort of lanes so the lightning helix i'm guessing what happened there was i had just played enough against probably the important matchup was delver and i you know identified this pattern where like the games would go really long and i would stabilize at a low life total but then i'd have to sweat them killing me with with you know treasure cruising into their remaining three lightning bolts that kind of thing once i had lo- once i had locked up the, the game with my removal spells when i saw you do that l- l- the lightning helix tech that same event i was knocked out of the event because i played against burn which was still of a fairly popular deck and at the time miracles didn't really have any reasonable life gain mm-hmm. to play in the 75 this was back when um like philip schoenegger was advocating for miracles players to like go down to like 19 lands all non-basics and things like that and the second that i i established a counterbalance and i had everything locked up and then my opponent cast a, a rift bolt to kill me uh and burn and knock me out of the tournament i was like should have played the lightning helix <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you know with with all the card selection and like Snapcaster Mage, the the, the yep. singleton um, weird cards like that pull extra weight. But yeah, that that's when I was playing a lot, and when you could mm-hmm. get a hundred reps in in a given matchup and like identify those patterns, then I would look for those creative ways to to solve the problems that I was identifying. These days, much more uh, to answer your question, I I would just focus on something that I believe is powerful in its own mm-hmm. right, and this is. But this is for a few reasons. Like, number one, it's just easier. You don't have to be a master of every little detail in order to to execute well on that. And then also, like, legacy is just really, really diverse. So even if you can Mm -hmm. identify a trend in the metagame, oh, up the beanstalk is the hot new thing. Like, a a lot of great players are playing with it. Uh, I want to be prepared and and one-up the up the beanstalk people. And then it's like, you do that and you just get paired against reanimator, storm, death and taxes. And you're like, oh, well, that was counterproductive, you know? Yeah. So it's... You've already, you've already nailed the metagame. <laughs> yeah, you... you there's just a, there's just, just so much that you have to deal with in Legacy that I, I actually think it's often a mistake to, like, hyper-focus on one element. It is one of the things I like about Legacy is that unlike, you know, like standard or modern, people can't pivot as quickly. So you're not, you don't end up being like a week late to the, to the like hot new tech when you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then everyone's like, yeah, well, I'm already on this to, to beat the other thing. And now that you sideboarded all your red blasts against all these non-red decks, you know, that kind of thing. Like, uh, yeah, totally. It, it, 
people people pivot a lot slower in in this format so it's one of the nice things about it Reed, could you uh, I, I have just a question that this is making me think of um i'm just curious if there was ever a time where you recognized a very particular sort of like level up moment throughout your career where you were like oh i now that i understand this the way that I view how to attack a metagame or how to approach a tournament or anything like that. Has there ever been like those kinds of uh, watershed moments for you that you like remember distinctly? Yeah, good question. Um, There is one memory that I can share and uh, I'm going to get like a tiny bit into the weeds here, but for the sake of the story, it was, um, this was a standard pro tour and a couple teammates and I were going to play Jund, you know, in the era of like Thragtusk and Farseek and stuff like that. But we had this problem against the red aggro decks where they would kind of go wide with a lot of like smaller creatures and just having to point removal spells at everything they played was sometimes ineffective. So we're like, man, you know, this should be a good matchup. You have Thrag Tusk, you have cheap removal. Like what's going wrong here? How do we solve this problem? And uh, my teammate, Ben Sek, who he's like super, super old school player, been around forever. Like he's seen everything and and solved every problem that there is to solve. He's like this, here's what I do in this situation. And he, you know, walked me over to his computer, pulled up Gatherer, and we literally searched every single legal card in in our colors through the lens of like, how do we solve this problem? problem against the this very specific problem against the, the very specific matchup what we came up with was strangle root geist two mana two one undying and we're like most people consider this like some kind of green beatdown card but we're just going to put it in our deck to block to speed up yeah root geist, go good luck attacking me with all your tutus and that you know that was like how we came up with this very unintuitive solution to a problem and so i've tried to carry that like strategy with me ever since where it's you know let's play the matchup with an eye for what's actually going on in the games, identify the problems. And then sometimes it's appropriate to think outside the box in terms of ways to, to, to level your opponents or to solve those problems. Yeah. That's, that, that's really enticing. There's a, a new deck that with, from Beseech, it's the new mono black helm, I mean, Mono Black Helm deck has been around for a little bit, but it, it's gotten a huge upgrade from Beseech. When I saw that that deck won uh, the ELM, the legacy, the big legacy event over in Europe, and it was playing a Beseech, and it was getting to tutor for things like Karn, which you expect, uh, Helm of Obedience, obviously, but then it had the one of ill-gotten gains that wow. it could Beseech for, because with Leyline of the Void and or uh, Dothy Voidwalker, that it would just effectively be a mind twist. And against certain opponents where you wouldn't, you, you needed some to, to be able to just like play a Leyline and then just Dark Ritual for Beseech and have a way to kill uh, the opponent before they could kill you on the backswing because Helm is obviously pretty mana intensive and Karn can't necessarily get a win condition or a way to stop uh, within the same turn cycle. And so they just found this like super fast way to like be faster than matchups that they were too slow for I, that like how did you how would you get to ill-gotten gains if you didn't look at it through the lens of a strangle root geist you know yeah it's yeah like, it's, it's it, a super valuable exercise to do with with tutors it reminds me of the people who go really deep on the doomsday piles too where it's mm-hmm. like all right well like what you know what pile do i get against this hate piece and what pile do i get against this hate piece and what cards do i have to put in my deck to set myself up to beat everything so there, there's a lot of really cool stuff for the, for the folks who are, are really into it yeah there's a value there also into like looking looking to see what the rest of the people who are building that same kind of deck are, are doing as well and just be like okay what's you know what's different about that that's how i ended up on uh berserk in a death shadow deck just being like how do i solve i'm constantly running into people just blocking me with their uh 
you know, their elvish visionary and then bouncing it with wirewood symbiote. And I'm just sitting here like behind a 12, 12 wondering what to do. And it's like, Oh yeah, well this guy's playing berserk <laughs> and that seems like it works fine. Uh, yeah, and, plus and you get to play with berserk and that's just yeah. so sweet. Berserk <laughs> is the best. When you think of moments in legacy that you really enjoy, is there a type of deck that you enjoy watching people play that you may not play yourself? I like to watch the decks, you know, say like Wasteland, Rishon and Port decks where they're the, the really skilled pilots are kind of taking every step to like slowly tighten the noose on the mm. opponent and putting every hate piece exactly into place and, you know, knowing how to how and when to attack the mana and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of subtlety there, which I really appreciate about Legacy in a world where um, really flashy plays and Grizzlebrand, draw seven cards, and you know all this stuff is possible. Like really focusing on the very small matchups between cards and like preventing people from making those really cool plays. Um, that's that's one of the f- aspects of the format that I enjoy, and I like to watch a, a really really good Death and Taxes or Lands player navigate those mm-hmm. games. In your recollection of playing Legacy, is there a, a match in particular? That like the moment of you playing Legacy where you're like, this is the best play I've ever made in this format. <laughs> I had <laughs> one game where it was any it was a Magic Online tournament, say eighteen months ago, something like that, and I was playing Elves. And I played a game, I think I won on like turn three or turn four through like several really potent hate pieces. And I completed the game and I was like, wow, like, I think that was the best game of magic I ever played, which was like kind of like a tongue in cheek thing because it was a very short game. And there was like just a couple of like very meaningful decisions. But it was one of those games where I was like, yeah, I had to I had to put like every piece exactly in place to avoid disaster and like have the result be me winning because my opponent had a plague engineer and it's like if i navigated incorrectly against the plague engineer that was going to wipe my whole board and you know so all these different things and that's one of the cool things about legacy is you know sometimes the games are very long but sometimes the games are very short and in both cases you better play tight you know to to avoid disaster and and make sure the the close calls are going in your favor what is it that you like to do outside of magic is there like a, a hobby that you find time for that you enjoy besides slinging some spells? Good question. Um, Yeah, well, so here's the thing is when you ask that question to like any normal person, a lot of people will have one thing, you know, one hobby that they're like super into. But for me, like my hobby and my work and everything is like, all rolled into this crazy uh, passion and time sink of magic. So a lot of like the rest of my life is the goal is like to find a little balance, right? Like I don't, Mm. I purposely don't get myself like really, really, really into something else because that would crowd out all the normal, like healthy experiences that, you know, a human being can have. Um, So, you know, I I try to try to spend my time in a balanced way and like get some physical activity, get some nature, get some social life, you know, all these like little bits of things. Yeah, I mean, I love gaming. I got a membership to the rock climbing gym down the street. Uh, so I find some some fun things to do. But yeah, I would say mostly outside of magic, it's like, let me try to have a balanced, balanced life. This is, yeah, is this the cliffs? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, dude, the cliffs are great. That, that place is that place is so awesome. A- anybody who hasn't been rock climbing before, go, go to a rock wall and like have somebody walk you through how to actually do it. It is an absolute thrill, especially yeah, if they have really the, the the rotating wheel where like the wheel just keeps rotating. You just keep climbing until you fall off. Have you gotten a chance to do that yet? <laughs> I haven't done it myself, but I've seen this. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Oh, it, it, it sounds it is, like it a is, night I, terror to me. <laughs> no, dude, <laughs> let me tell you, let, nightmare. 
if, 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 there's, if there's anything we learned to, to grind until the very end, reap for your reap. The physical manifestation of that is trying to last on the rolling rock wall for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of my physical activity is based on biking. I'm just like, I'll, I'll bike there. You know, it's, it's Philly's a nice small town, too. So much smaller than, than, than New York. When I lived in New York, I didn't realize how large it was until I moved to Philly and was like, oh, I can like traverse the entire town walking like, you know, the main, the main part of town in like 40 minutes, you know, oh, get to one side. Yeah. Get to one side for the other in 40 minutes, like on a bike. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's pretty wild uh, to, to be able to do something physical and then move and then move into a new place and be like, oh, wow. It's like, there's a lot, there's just less space. Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck building website on the internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like Premodern and Old School. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. And then, Reed, I also wanted to uh, wanted to extend to you, uh, we're going to get you a t-shirt. We've got a few few different t-shirts, so we'll have you pick one out. We've got... Uh, the Turtle Dirtles classic T-shirt, the What It Do T-shirt. Phil asking you what your deck does, uh, and then we have the Dirtle Mania T-shirt <laughs> as well. Um, so we'll, we'll get you we'll get you one of those T-shirts for being on with us. We really appreciate you coming on and, and hanging out with us for a while. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll yeah. cherish it. Reed, where where can people find you, my dude? Where, where where should people go? Where should people catch all your stuff? So all of my uh, strategy content, my videos, my written stuff goes up on ChannelFireball.com. That's that's uh, number one place to find my work. Also, you can sometimes catch me streaming. Uh, I'm twitch.tv slash reader rabbit. Before any final send-offs, I want to uh, plug one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's actually a redo quote. Reed was playing Miracles. Who would have thought? He was playing Miracles in a video uh, for Channel Fireball. And he played through a league. And at the end of it, he said, well, there you go. That's pretty much the Miracles experience. We worked extremely, extremely hard. And we won half of our matches. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. Catch you next time. Reed, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone.